A few weeks ago, I returned to Israel after a three-year absence, which felt like eternity to me. I was there on an Israel Bonds rabbinic mission, spending four very packed days with colleagues across the denominational spectrum. Most of our time was spent in Jerusalem, except for one day when we boarded a bus before 7 a.m., and we drove north, and north, and north, and more north, and we drove right up to the Lebanon border near the Israeli villages of Shtula and Zarit. For those who know Israel geography well, we weren't in the vicinity of Metula and the Canada Center, we were more coastal. So why did we go there? We spent the day with Major Liad Diamond, the head of IDF Public Diplomacy. He took us to see, learn about, and actually enter a Hezbollah terror tunnel. The tunnel that we went to was the longest and most significant subterranean tunnel that was found during Operation Northern Shield, which took place back in December 2018 and January 2019. It was pre-COVID, in case we forgot about it. This particular tunnel was 80 meters deep. It was one kilometer long, and it penetrated 77 meters into Israeli territory underground. It began close to the Lebanese village of Ramia, with the exit close to where we were, right near Shatula and Zarit, which is where we entered. And the Israel-Lebanon border wall was maybe 10 meters away from us. Now this tunnel, it was equipped with really advanced infrastructure for electricity and ventilation and communication systems. In just a few more years, it could have been completed. And those Hezbollah folks, they worked day and night starting in 2014 in shifts with the goal of crossing into Israel and causing as much mayhem and destruction as possible, both for the sake of the destruction itself and for the symbolism of having troops carry out attack inside Israel. Thank God the IDF thwarted this master plan. At the end of May 2019, the IDF, they plugged up an internal section of the tunnel with both concrete and dynamite sending Hezbollah's investment of time and a whole lot of money down the drain. I entered the tunnel, but I didn't go down the stairs with my colleagues. Between having a bad knee and wearing a long dress that day, it just didn't seem wise, because I saw tripping in my future, and I was also scared that maybe there'd still be aftershocks from Turkey, so I didn't go all the way down, but I entered. And even though we were given bright orange hard hats and the IDF had installed some more lights, it was dark and dingy 
and so sad. I just felt this deep sadness when I was inside it because it was really scary. If you think about the amount of destruction that it could have caused. And at the same time, there was an old school Hanukkah song that kept playing on loop in my brain. I just kept singing it over and over inside. I see Daphna nodding her head. I'll translate that. We came to drive away the darkness. In our hands is light and fire. Everyone's a small light. All of us a strong light. Fight away the darkness. Further the blackness. Fight away that because of the light. If we go back a few weeks in our Torah reading, or we go forward a month to the Seder, a month, darkness was sent as a plague back in Egypt. Sahal did what they needed to do in order to drive away that darkness and seal up that dark tunnel because we live with and we need light. They painted the new Israeli-created entrance to the tunnel a very specific color of blue. It's the same blue like you see on the flag of the Magen David and the stripes. And they added a mezuzah, as if to say, we are here. Because we, the Jewish people, we are about light. We're not about darkness. We light candles every week to bring in and close out Shabbat. We light candles for Yurtzeit. We light candles to bring in holidays and, of course, at Hanukkah. From the very, very beginning, light has been seen as good in contrast to the darkness, which was a plague. In Breshit chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we read, Vayomer Elohim Yehi Or. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Elohim saw that the light was good. And Elohim separated the light from the darkness. It was only after God created light that God created everything else. Light was needed for everything else. But what is light? According to the psalmist, light is a manifestation of God. Adonai ori, the ishi. God is my light and my help. In this week's parsha, we read right at the very beginning, You shall further instruct the Israelites to bring you clear oil of beaten olives for lighting, for kindling lamps, and the next Hebrew word is the word tamid. We'll get there in a moment. Rabbi Toba Spitzer wrote, the first act of service which our forefathers were commanded to perform in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, was to light the eternal light, this ner tamid. 
This is analogous to the creation of the world, the beginning of which is, and Elohim said, let there be light, and there was light. The ner tamid of the Mishkan corresponds to that first light, the light whose source is infinite and whose power is thousandfold greater than the power of the sun, the light which was hidden away to serve the righteous in the future to come. Hopefully, we all strive to be righteous, and hopefully, we all aspire to be, as the prophet Isaiah calls us, the or lagoyim, a light onto the nations, a light onto the nations. Because each of us here listening, we're all a small light, but together, we are a strong light. Now, this opening verse to our parsha is actually a little strange. <laughs> a Barbanel who wrote in the 1400s, he pondered the same thing that some of us might. He wondered why it was that there was so much attention given to something as specific as the Mishkan's lamps before the Mishkan was even built. A Barbanel notes that the Ner Tamid must be something special if it was described with such reverence an essential component for a mishkan that did not yet exist. It's kind of like choosing light fixtures for a new house before meeting with a contractor or an architect. Not quite the order. This ner tamid, this eternal light, was and is special. The light not only enabled people to see, but hopefully it ignited them as well. There's a machloket, a difference of opinion between our classic commentators on what the word tamid means. Rashi suggested that it meant routinely kindled every night from evening until morning, and then each night it was kindled anew. But Ramban disagreed, and he believed that the light would just be continuously burning. Most side with Ramban, and they understand the word tamid to be always on. The light was always left on. So let's look a little closer at the Ner Tamid. That one, if you want to look at it as I speak. It reminds us that there is no off button for doing mitzvot and doing chesed and doing tzedek work being kind, and doing acts of righteousness. It points us to our core values that are found in Judaism, that they are not time-bound. The Ner Tamid has been witness to so many people's cries and prayers. Because if you can't cry in shul, where can you cry? And the Ner Tamid also reminds us of life, and light. In a couple days, when we read the Megillah for Purim, we're going to read in chapter 8, Lehudim Haita, Ora, Vesimcha, Vesason, Veikar. The Jews enjoyed light and gladness, happiness and honor. Light and joy, they're linked together. And we also recite that line each week as we close out Shabbat with literally a lit candle in hand during Havdalah. 
So if we follow Ramban, that the ner tamid is to be lit constantly, we need to make sure it doesn't go out. That's on us. We don't want a ner lif amim, a sometimes light. We want an eternal light. And our eternal lights here at that Tzedek, both in this room and the sanctuary and the one that's in the gym, it can only actually be sustained by humans and light bulbs and Brian. <laughs> in biblical times, someone was actually lighting it with a flame. And unless you follow Clea Carr, who believed the light was always lit by a way of a miracle, it meant then and now. We're keeping this light on. We need to ensure that the light doesn't go out. It's a good time to question yourself. What do we do to ensure that our lights, our lights of Torah, our lights of tradition, and our lights of community never go out? Since it's almost Purim, Another Hanukkah song. <laughs> Don't let the light go out. It lasted for so many years. Don't let the light go out. Let it shine through our hope and our tears. I started this morning by describing the terror tunnels. Israel has problems, lots of them, lots and lots and lots and lots of them. We don't have enough time to describe them all. There are internal threats, there are external threats that we can all rattle off. But please, don't let your lights go out. Let our lights lead us forward. The Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi, he once taught, one of the teachings that my master, the Magid of Metzrich, imparted to me privately was an understanding of the verse, a perpetual fire shall be kept burning on the altar, never to go out. Despite the fact that God's fire would descend from above to consume the sacrifices, there is nonetheless an obligation to kindle ordinary fire on the altar. The kindling from below arouses a kindling from above. A spirit from below calls forth a spirit from above, which is drawn down from the highest realms. Merely bringing the sacrificial offering was insufficient. One must also light a fire for that offering that comes from within oneself. That's the fire that may not be extinguished. And so my prayer for you, my blessing, my request for you this Shabbat morning is that when you find yourself in prayer spaces such as this, that has a ner tamid, that has an eternal light, take a little bit of time to really notice it. And remember all of the symbolism behind it. Because that's why it's there in prayer spaces all over the world. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>